This is the United Ireland Dublin Bay South by-election podcast bonanza. Welcome to the battle for the South Side. To Klonsky and beyond Lorcan. 32 counties. United by people. My name is Una. Why is that funny? I don't know. It's the way you say it. And my name is Andrea. And this is our third instalment of the United Ireland Dublin Bay South podcast Bonanza by-election special Bonanza special. Every week on United Ireland, we go under the hood of issues in Ireland beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about. But with just over a week to go until polling day in Dublin Bay South, we're honing in on the election of the century slash year to date. We're bringing you the juiciest campaign trail news, the biggest clangers, the worst social media activations, the most pedantic controversies, and the best bits of an election campaign that we're absolutely bed into, all wrapped up in our expert analysis. We'll also bring you special 32 questions episodes with all of the main candidates. Well, most of them, more on that later. You can listen to our interviews with Ivana Bacic, Sarah Durkin and Lynn Boylan right now, wherever you get your podcasts. On our first week of coverage, though, we set the scene for this battleground. In week two, we turn to the tarot for election predictions. Which everyone is obsessed with, by the way. Oh my God, the amount of messages I've been getting about it. It's so brilliant. If you haven't listened to that episode of the tarot predicting um, and giving the context for the candidates in the by-election, I highly recommend. It's a revolutionary innovation in political analysis and <laughs> predictions, I feel. I, I agree. But this week, it's neck and neck time. We're looking at the recent Irish Times poll and bringing you our analysis of what's going down in the battle for the south side. Very much looking forward to this neck and neck convo. This podcast runs entirely on the fuel generated from Patreon. Build a windmill by going to the website and activating the turbine by putting in uh, your little details and putting some wind, renewable wind down. This is really gone bad. (laughs) We are working our balls off here for making loads of good juicy podcasts for you. You can support that patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. Thank you so much to our listeners, new and old. And we'd love um, uh, and all of our supporters who are amazing. Get on board. Three bucks a month. Boom. But first, it's campaign news. Dublin Bay South by-election. Breaking news. Red alert. Now, we're going to go to the poll in a minute because this episode is themed around neck and neck and the neck as well. Uh, And so we'll be getting to that. Um, But what else is going on in campaign news this week, Andrea? Well, Una, I'm I'm getting news in from the street that there's been a big canvassing push for Fine Gael. Uh, there's been a lot of ministers out, TDs, senators every day. Um, I've been getting a lot of messages of like, it's very bizarre that there's like ministers out doing like mail drops and the like every single day. Oh my God, I saw, I, I had a real life uh, viewing of a campaign uh, trail. There I was picking up my Indian uh, I can't believe I'm actually like telling this like it's a big news. There I was picking up my Indian and on the street beside the Indian was the James Gagan mobile. And um, the person who was with me was like, do you want to get your picture with it? I was like, certainly not. He was like, will we check and see if there's a ticket in the car? I was like, we certainly will. Uh, <laughs> Where do you get your Indian takeaway from? 
Kinara in Oh, Canada. very nice, yeah. That's where it was. It was Ranala, Ranala, obviously, um, that the campaigning was happening. But then we, we, we saw James crossing the road with his coffees. So it was like spotting Niles from Fraser Crane. Uh, not from Fraser Crane, from Fraser. He's the image of him. Uh, and then we went to our car, got in with our Indian. Who should appear? Alas, it's Simon Harris our Minister for Further Education, just bopping around Ranala. And then uh, next up, Leo Varadkar appears. It was like the holy trinity of the blue-shirted men. It's very interesting how much uh, uh, push that uh, James Gagan is getting flat out with all of the ministers and TDs gathering and the around of the party. Out bopping around campus. It's kind of mad. Like, are any of them doing any work? Like, are you able, are you allowed to take time off to be like dropping in leaflets and stuff? They, really, they really want that seat. <laughs> they really want that seat. You were at the National Maternity Hospital protest at the weekend. Uh, how did that go? And, and how does it relate to the by-election, do you think? Um, it was really interesting. The there was representatives from nearly from nearly all parties apart from Fine Gael. but uh, Mary Lou did a, a speech and Lynn Boylan was there Ivana Batchik was there um, Sock Dems were there uh, um, what's her face what's her face it's probably not a very respectable term is it Roisin Shortall did a speech as well there was a lot of Sock Dem people there uh, people for profit were there um, Bridget was there, uh, Richard Boyd Barrett, Paul Murphy. Um, so it was very a left feeling uh, attendance from the people there. Were any of the Greens there? Uh, they were. Claire couldn't be there, but there was green green people there. Mm. Green people. Hazel Chu was there. Um, who else? Anyone else? That's interesting that there weren't kind of the government, well, like Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael there. Was Fianna Fáil there? Um, there was a call out of all the by-election candidates who were there and they did call out Deirdre Conroy, but there was a silence and then a laugh. So I'm not sure if that was, uh, if she was in fact there. Right. But it was when very it interesting, that, but whatever. Who do you think is kind of owning that issue? Like who do you think the fat, the discourse around it and the people who are engaged with, this issue around the governance and ownership of land at the National Maternity Hospital? I think it's very clear down the line, the people who supported repeal from the outset are supporting this. And then the people who got on board and then took credit for repeal are the ones who aren't out on it um, and who are kind of trying to make it work and then going back on their words. So you, like even the discourse around it in the lead up to it, is, it's like you can see what's happening. Uh, the National Maternity Hospital want to get this built. They have a shit hospital and they want a good hospital. And they're like, will you just shut up and let us have this hospital? Uh, the government are stuck in a weird place because they want to push it over the line. But uh, Dr. Boylan has highlighted so many times and it, like, it makes total sense that it is a very repeal issue because the amount of trauma that Irish women have gone through at the hands of religious orders that by just giving this maternity hospital over, we're just not breaking free from the mistakes of our past. And I think it's very much a then, uh, then 
people who are moving into the future and looking into the future are supporting it and those who are very much within the status quo and who just want to get it over the line aren't are kind of not supporting it so um that's what it feels like Mm. It, it feels very divided into a very like progressive uh thing and then you have the kind of weird like doctors from the national maternity hospital who are coming out against the protesters and are kind of like trying them under the bus a bit on these crazy feminists wanting to be having a hospital free from uh religious zealots or whatever but like and also trying to say that it's religion hating that people are going against it when it's clearly not it's like it's based on experience and like if you're like coming from a mother and baby home situation and you're hearing people going you just hate religion it's like babes that is an absolute lie like I absolutely hate what these people have done to so many women for so long and to in jump into that again and to just to like disregard everything that's happened in the past and to be like look they've said they're going to give us an assurance it'll all be cool oh um, do you think we might have a little bit more please (laughs) that might be sound um so it's just so contentious but I think it's definitely the progressive parties, the people before profits, the Sinn Féin's, the Labour's and the Greens and the Sock Dems who are, who are leading that. Mm. Um, one interesting thing with regards to the lack of, of presence of particular candidates or parties at uh, essentially progressive constituency issues is, I'm sure loads of people have noticed that um, along with our 32 questions episodes, there are certain candidates who are actually doing a lot of media. They're going on different podcasts. They're getting their policies across. They're, you know, highlighting who they are. Um, James Gagan and, and Deirdre Conroy are not really doing that. Um, we repeatedly asked and we're talking back and forth with the Finnegal Press Office about getting James Gagan on to do the 32 questions because we plan to do all the candidates. And they have repeatedly said he's not available, he's not available and he's just not going to do it. Um, And we just got word there as well that Deirdre Conroy isn't going to do it either. That's really disappointing because, you know, these are just like platform. What we're trying to do is engage people in politics in a different kind of way. Um, And people have said to us the 32 questions, which is people of all, all political parties, all political stripes, that it's, you know, they've really learned a lot from it and it gives them a different perspective on politicians as anyone knows who listens to that series, it's not combative. We're not there to give people a drubbing, no matter what your um, political affiliation is. You'll get a fair crack of the whip. Um, but no, they're they're not doing it. And uh, it's very frustrating because obviously when you're running in an election, um, you should uh, stand up, answer questions, put your point of view across um, as opposed to just relying on different party brands and party machines. So we're really sorry uh, to our listeners that we won't be able to bring you those interviews uh, which were planned, um, but they they won't do them. So uh, that- I feel a little bit indicative of the people who are doing it are people who are pushing things forward and, and laying out plans of what they'd like to see and their vision, whereas it feels like the vision that is being pushed forward by those candidates isn't has no weight behind it. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there is a superficiality um, to like probably both both James Gagan and, and Deirdre Conroy. Um, they are obviously less experienced, perhaps the people uh, within their party press offices or within their campaigns are worried that they may not stand up 
um, to to scrutiny in an interview, even if it is a very non-confrontational interview, that they may not have enough to say. Um, and, you know, when you kind of look at their messaging across the board, yeah, maybe they have a point there. But I think kind of running away from engagement is not a positive thing to do. Um, you know, Ivana Bacic, Lynn Boylan, these are major political figures and they're happy to kind of talk to different people about where they're coming from, what they feel um, and what their policies are. It's very disheartening then when you look at somebody like James Gagan in particular, who's presenting himself as this like dynamic youthful candidate who then won't engage with media that is aimed at like a lot of younger people and a lot of people who look at politics in a different way. Um, You know, he, he is a younger candidate presenting as a younger candidate but going for an an, an older vote um, so it really kind of you know it, it does demonstrate um, a, a certain like reticence of engagement um, and kind of a, an unwillingness I suppose to actually you can you know you're getting your your quote unquote like points or campaign across in this very like managed uh, curated way on the internet and with your party machine it's just like look at me I'm in proximity to all these ministers therefore I am one of them vote for the people already in power whereas you know when you actually talk to somebody on a human level and ask them about certain things that can get stuff across now if there isn't actually much there to back it up I would understand why certain candidates would shy away from that but all you're doing is kind of demonstrating that lack of of willingness to to engage and, and actually connect with people. Um, maybe it's not when, even the candidates, maybe it's the machine. And we did talk about this of like, maybe there's a strategy behind it of just keep your blinkers on and just stay with your base and don't even try and go into somewhere that may not be your hood. But if you have, if you have something to, that you believe in and that you can stand over, you should be able to go to any audience and be able to share that. Yeah, true. Um, in other campaign news, Ivana Bacic has launched a plan for a Dublin Bay task force, obviously one of the very kind of underutilised um, uh, aspects of this constituency, apart from all of the previous hoo-ha about um, the kind of waste processing stuff at Rings End and all that kind of stuff is the bay itself, water quality, etc. And loads of shenanigans going on in Sandy Mount with people being annoyed about a cycle path. So that's a, a piece of policy that she's launched, which is pretty interesting. Which is also brilliant, I think, in terms of this campaign. If you're bringing things forward and she's bringing a bill forward for that, rather than here I am with loads of my minister pals, it, it kind of feels like there's a waste to your campaign rather than just... Yeah. Ivana's mad for all, like loads of pictures out canvassing as well, as are all the candidates. But I, I feel like when you, you have something that's policy related and, and action rather than I'm asking for your vote. Yeah, I, or rather than just these kind of, you know, top line ideas. I mean, James Gagan is still pushing this thing, 15 minute city, 15 minute city. It's like, cool. Yeah, that is something that everyone wants. How are you actually going to do that? What infrastructurally does that mean? Does that therefore mean that you absolutely support way more cycling in- infrastructure in Sandy Mount? Does it, well, like, does it, where are the amenities that you are identifying? What is the policy? Where are the bills that you're going to do this? Where are your progressive plans for like free public transport, blah, blah, blah? Anybody can say, do you know what's great? Nice things. You know, it's very, very superficial. And so that you're, you're right there in terms of people who are actually identifying policy and bills that they can do because and do the actual hard yards of it as opposed to just go, here I am with a GoPro on my bike. 
Um, anyway, another thing Finnegal did was they launched a document called Sinn Féin blocking housing construction in Dublin, giving out about Sinn Féin councillors voting against certain uh, housing uh, plans in the councils. What really annoys me about this is, um, first of all, it's Finnegal who've been overseeing housing for a decade and we're in the results of that. Second of all, it's very, very disingenuous to say people are blocking housing or blocking housing developments when you're not actually looking at the quality of and the issues around those housing developments because a lot of those votes, which loads of people vote against in loads of different parties and independents as well, are about public land being handed over to private developers. There, the objections a lot of people have about them is about the um, division between private, affordable, well, quote unquote, affordable or public housing. So like, it isn't fair to say, oh, pe- this party is blocking all this housing when it's like, we need, it's, it's about a planning, it's about sustainability, it's about infrastructure, it's about public land and it's about afford actual affordability. So, I think know. what was really interesting about that was that on, I think it was the day before, maybe on the day, Dublin Inquirer launched an, an article about how some of the developments didn't have enough light to sustainably be able to live in them, that they were mm. all being created with no light. But also, I kind of got a bit annoyed about this in the way it was launched as a report, which meant that the media just re- like reported that Finnegan launched a report that Sinn Féin are blocking housing. And it, it's like, the where's the like the two-sidedness? I could launch a report and go, people in Dublin Bay South don't like uh, men who wear blue shirts. And that's the report. It's like, just because you launch a report, you can say whatever you want. And that makes it like have weight. I just think that's so scary. Yeah, and it also comes back to the um, counterproductive reflex that Finnegal have in constantly attacking Sinn Féin as opposed to offering what they're going to do themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, Why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> Andrea, I was just listening to Stephen Donnelly tie himself in knots like a pretzel uh, talking to Brian Dobson on RTE about um, the hoo-ha uh, that is unfolding around hospitality, indoor dining, not reopening as well as travel. Because they've now delayed that opening and are saying that they'll have a plan for opening or a plan for something on July 19th, not necessarily opening on July 19th. Do you think that that stuff around hospitality and businesses will have an issue for, um, will be an issue for the constituency in in the election? Because traditionally business owners um, may have tended to vote for a party like Fine Gael. I think it's really interesting because it's a tale of two cities like this constituency because um, you ha- if you look at the ESRI uh, information from the lockdowns and the public sentiment was that people felt that the, uh, the lockdowns didn't go far enough even though there was a media conversation that actually we need to get out of this lockdown, no more lockdowns, but people felt safer going things slowly so I think there's a general public feeling of like let's actually open this slowly and make sure we don't have to go backwards and that there is that sense around it whereas if you're a build in the business and you're like fuck my business is going to go to the wall I'm fucked that there will be that that's the kind of other side of it um of like you just want to open up and you're kind of you're over COVID, I suppose. And even though you, we know the Delta variant is coming in, we know that indoor dining with no masks is much more uh, 
dangerous. We know that it is like people drinking and all that thing will lead to all this thing. But I suppose then you have on this, not to get into indoor dining, I suppose from a constituency perspective, you do have Renewa who is actually, their poster is calls for no more lockdown. So they're running on this. Um, and Peter Dooley, who's the independent candidate, is calling for reopening to go ahead on the 5th, no matter what. He, he's like, if you're a business, get in contact with me. Whereas uh, Claire Byrne and Bridget were on Matt Cooper the other night. Um, and Claire was saying, if they do push it out, that it needs to be supported, that we do need to keep the supports in place to make sure these businesses survive. And Bridget was saying that she was... Um, she worked in a restaurant and she lost her job um, because of the pandemic, but that she would much prefer to see it open slowly and safely. So there is kind of two stories going on. And then I suppose Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil are saying what they're saying on the podium. So it's hard to know what, what, like there's probably going to be a complete division between those who just want to get back out there and then those who are really affected. Mm. And now it's time for our main Dublin Bay South analysis. It's neck and neck. So the poll oh. landed on, oh. on Monday night. The Irish Times poll, uh, always juicy to have a poll at this point uh, in a by-election. Um, now, what that poll showed was quite similar to what we were kind of predicting in our first episode, that Ivana Bacic was a very likely and s- strong contender. And obviously her biggest opposition would be James Gagan. Um, so what the poll showed was James Gagan is at 27% support, Ivana Bacic 22, Lynn Boylan 13, Claire Byrne 11, Deirdre Conroy 10, Sarah Durkin 5. Um, I think it's the same as our tarot card reading. <laughs> Funnily enough. <laughs> Funnily enough, the tarot called it. And of course, in our initial episode, uh, we were kind of trying to, uh, I suppose, move away from what the broader political um, uh, analysis was in the in the in the political parties and in government and away from the political media narrative, which was very much this election is between Finnegal and Sinn Fein, which is not something that we thought. We thought it's actually between Ivana and and other people. So that seems to be playing out here when you take away the undecided voters and actually look at who is more transfer fr- transfer friendly. When you when you saw that poll, Andrea, what were you thinking? I thought when I saw that, that Ivana's got it. It's in the bag because, uh, as you say, it's uh, very transferable and people who vote for women, and not that it's a gender thing, but people who vote for women are going to vote for women in their transfers. Mm. Um, And as well as that, if you do vote for the left and transfer left, you are transferring to women as well. So it's it's very, and the, the left transfer works in the last election so well that it kind of is an unspoken thing that's happening now. So that it does mean you've got gender going for it and you've got a left transfer going for it. So if you put them together, it, it seems to be that Ivana will, will get it in the bag. Yeah, I think it's really close. Um, I think that it's, I'm actually kind of surprised that James Gagan is, I thought he, they would, I know it's only a 5% gap and I think the margin of error is actually quite large. It's 4 point something percent. Um, 
and also there are undecided still in the mix. I would have thought that Gagan would probably have been more like 23, 24 and Ivana probably, yeah, around 22. I thought Lynn Boylan would have a little bit more traction, but I think that that speaks to um, how divided the constituency is around more conservative, wealthy, middle-class voters and um, less, more left-wing, working-class voters. And I think it also speaks to the gravity of gentrification that has occurred in this constituency, that in terms of relying on communities um, that exist in Ringsend, in Pier Street and the South Inner City, that a lot of those communities have actually been displaced or gentrified. And so you're not necessarily getting, um, you know, that, that, that kind of surge, I suppose. Now, that's really you know, stereotyping uh, Sinn Féin voters in a way, because obviously a tremendous amount of young people in the constituency, wherever they live or whatever socioeconomic background they come from, will be voting for Sinn Féin. I think think a lot of young people will be voting for Bridget as well from PBP um, and some for for the Greens, actually a lot for the Greens and and some for Ivana. And there is a a randomly a a slice of support there for, for James Gangan amongst young people too. Um, but yeah, it's going to be about transfers, and on that, on on the face of that poll, you'd imagine Finnegan would be quite worried, and Labour would be quite um, enthused by it. Interestingly, this twenty seven percent support that James Gagan has—that's a direct mirror of the vote share that Finnegan got in the twenty twenty general election, um, which is also twenty seven percent. Um, Murphy sixty was on sixteen percent of the vote share. And Kate O'Connell, eleven percent. Obviously, she lost her seat then. So, what that kind of shows to me is that they have maintained, but not expanded beyond their base. Um, whereas Ivana Bacic has obviously, you know, as as always, when people were talking about like Labour couldn't win here, you know, they're in the doldrums in the national polls. And what you know we have been saying throughout this is that Ivana Bacic is a candidate that transcends a party, and that's what you need in in a by election. She's the most high-profile candidate in the race. Um, she is her own brand and she pulls in votes from people who aren't even looking at the Labour brand. They're looking at her uh, her, her legacy. They're looking at her, all of the stuff that she's done in terms of gender, in terms of LGBT rights, repeal, um, and how rooted she is in the constituency in Portobello as well. I really think, though, like, did Fine Gael make another strategic error uh, as they did in the general election in attacking Sinn Féin when the actual contender uh, was Ivana Bacic. And if so, how could they not have seen that? Um, were they trying to shave votes off Sinn Féin in their direction, which is really never going to happen? Um, and what do they do now? Because you can't really attack Ivana Bacic uh, and, and win votes for that because she is a well-liked candidate in the same way that you can attack Sinn Féin in the way that they do. Um, So I think it's very difficult for the next week and a half of the campaign because obviously at this point it's like really digging in. How how do you go up against Ivana and her record of like, you're literally like, "Uh, yeah, well, we brought repeal in. No, you didn't. Come on. Like, yeah. Even when they tried to take ownership of that, it was like, you set up Premier. And I think as well, like, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's interesting about, you know, Finnegal have this, you know, point of view around meritocracy, you know, and that, that people should just get where they are on their merit and get up early in the morning and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, by that notion, 
you know, uh, Ivana Bacic versus James Gagan, you know, it's not really a contest in terms of who deserves it. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, the, 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 there are also Claire Byrne and Sarah Durkin and Lynn Boylan and people like that also would, would deserve a seat based on what they've done, you know. Mm. But when you look at the merit of James Gagan, if you if you slot him into Finnegal's worldview, you know, what he has behind him is like insane, intense privilege, um, you know, familial wealth, uh, old school political connections and a massive party machine and the contemporary party just going out full whack. And so what about him as as a potential candidate has merit in this campaign versus somebody like Ivana Bacic or like Lynn Boylan or like Claire Byrne or like Sarah Durkin or indeed um, like Bridget as well. So it, it's weird, like it's, it's funny, like certain parties, you know, they, they certain like centre-right or right-wing parties they or neoliberal parties, they propagate this stuff around meritocracy. But actually, when it comes down to it, the people that they put their weight behind may not actually even fulfil these kind of uh, archetypes that they think are just, you know, you just get where you are through hard work. And it's like, well, you know, you can't really take away the, you can't, minimize the privilege of this person whose like parents were Supreme Court judges and whose grandparents were Supreme Court judges. You know, it's yeah, like, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that he shouldn't be like, doesn't deserve to run as well. Absolutely not. But when you're voting for the best candidate and the candidate with the best record and the candidate who has shown themselves, um, you know, to be at the races, I have... But also there's potential. You have to put potential in there. Yeah, true. But I think it's like, for me... Like I suppose James Gagan and Bridget, I think, are on the same same level. Yeah, with their potential and that kind of stuff, and what they could do. And yeah, they're just starting out. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I guess, think- I guess, like, and and that is true. I I don't mean to slate somebody for being like rich or from coming from a privileged background at all, because there's no accounting for like where or how you're born or to whom. Look at Richard Wood Barrett. True, but the thing is privilege is not about, is not a full stop. You know, it is actually about how you use that privilege and people can't be slated for having privilege. It is about how you use it. If you look at how the various people in this race have used their privilege, I think you will then start to find real discrepancies versus people who go to work for lobbying firms uh, and people who are actually doing activism at a very early age, be that environmental, community, um, you know, uh, with regards to reproductive rights or whatever. So, you know... Smoking needs a voice too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. Those are are just my my other thoughts that I didn't think I'd get into. But yes, that was the poll. Very interesting. Does look like at this stage not to uh, diminish the other candidates in any way, but it does look like it is between James Gagan and Ivana Bacic. And that Ivana is more transfer friendly. Yeah. Do you think polls then change the narrative and change the, like, when a poll comes out, it's almost like it changes the energy. It absolutely and does, yeah. And kind of, like, Finnegal will react to that and what will they do now? And then that puts a pep in Havana's step and then pushes her forward. So these polls can kind of control the the results as well. Yeah, and there can be some, like, self-fulfilling stuff there because yeah. what Finnegal will also be saying and thinking is, we're in the lead. 
We just yeah. now have to get those people who say they're going to vote for us out to vote. And so they're in a very powerful position. Mm. Um, and it does also depend on what the first preferences go like because transfers only matter when you need them. And, um, you know, you'll, you will see the, the, the independents who will, who will, you know, hope, unfortunately, you know, many people who put their heart and soul into campaigns, you know, not necessarily making it into, you know, beyond the first few counts, their transfers will begin to, to clock up and that will start to colour a picture that can really dramatically change. Because when you take into account like Lynn Boyle and Claire Byrne, Deirdre Conroy's percentages, right, that's 34%. So together, those people have more votes than or more vote share than the prospective vote share of Ivana Bacic or James Gagan. So the way those transfers split will really matter. And I know at the start a couple of weeks ago when we were doing our first podcast on this, you know, you were talking about how James Gagan just needs to get the Fine Gael vote or or a right wing vote effectively, a conservative vote, whereas the others, the vote is going to be split everywhere. And that is difficult when there's not a clear clear leader of that pack of the yeah. left center left pack but when there actually is in terms of Ivana Bacic now at 22% in this poll that changes the dynamic of transfers because all of a sudden you're looking at somebody who's not necessarily splitting the vote but who's actually quite ahead and that vote split from the left center left will then go in their favor and they all of a sudden leapfrog over the person who was actually getting quite a high number of first preferences from a different base mm. so um yeah it's going to be interesting in transfer land and uh i do love our voting system i love voting day i was literally like I had to, I thought I had to do something. I was like, absolutely not. I'll be happy watching that Twitter sphere. <laughs> Can we go to account? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll let, well, we we should have a maybe a. We'll definitely have a a live watch, watch along with Una and Andrea as they refresh their Twitter feeds. <laughs> yes, join us on Twitch for uh, the boxes. No, okay, okay. Now it's time for content is king. Take a flash drive and we and we plug it in, you know, get into her cloud and then steal all her cookies, right? And then we're straight through the firewall. Okay, literally none of what you said made any sense. Content. Hashtag content is king. Give us um, the good and the bad content from this week. I think the main thing that happened and I think I think it's you should probably take it because I it was very uh, it was very heated response I think to what happened around Pride and all the candidates visiting the Pride shop oh yeah I was I was just a bit um, I don't like uh, sometimes just people capitalising on Pride if they don't have um making political capital from Pride when they don't have a record of um, campaigning for LGBTQ plus rights or when they're not necessarily rooted in the community. So I, I have to say I was a bit miffed um, when I see people like with their thumbs up and a rainbow flag. Um, James Gagan posted a lot of Pride content. He did an Insta Live with Maria Walsh. He went to the shops with Cherry Buttermere. <laughs> um 
And we got in touch with the Finnegal Press Office to ask for his record in advocacy and campaigning um, for LGBTQ rights. And it was very threadbare. It was like, I went to Pride in 2019 when I became a politician. And I think I will go, I think everybody should, every politician should go to every Pride and just stuff like this. And um, talking about, you know, Finnegal's work on the national LGBTQ youth strategy, which like I was the independent chair of, and I have never seen any engagement from James Kagan and anything that related. Was so it was like, Hey, I'm the chair of that. <laughs> what? So yeah. So that was kind of like, it just feels very superficial and people may not conceive of it like that. They're like, Oh, shut up. Like, it's just a solidarity, but it's support. And it's like, well, when it's actually your identity and when this occasion is actually very important to you and you see people just bandwagoning, for the purpose of appearing progressive, um, you know, you can, it's very, very transparent. So again, this is probably trying to appeal to people who, who are looking at the, the window dressing of um, progressiveness, as opposed to the actual hard yards and what it really means um, to engage uh, in, you know, civil rights effectively. Um but there was also Bridget uh, from PBP. I love the way we're just calling her Bridget now, like Madonna. Uh, <laughs> she has one name. She had another new video, which is really great. Um, actually, let's just play a clip of that right now. Fianna Fáil seems to think that affordable housing is €450,000. And so how do we achieve affordable housing? Banning cuckoo funds from the housing market, not slapping them on the wrist with a little extra stamp duty. They currently swoop in and pay tens of thousands of euro above the asking price on houses. When money is no object, stamp duty is not a deterrent. They did it in New Zealand and we can do it here. Get rid of tax loopholes and make speculators pay the tax they owe us. And tax vacant properties that could be homes. Either rent it, sell it, or pay for it. Stop the selling off of public land to vulture funds at rock-bottom prices and start using that land to build public and affordable housing. Establishing a state-run construction company providing good wages for workers and at-cost housing for those looking to buy. It's not impossible to end a housing crisis if you actually have the political will. I love her videos. I think they're just very genuine. Like I love Bridget. Like, I love her. She's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I love Bridget. Wow, that's a really good political analysis, Andrew. Maybe you should uh, really share some of that on Twitter or something. Uh, or on your podcast about politics. <laughs> anyway, moving on swiftly. What we're noticing in terms of other content stuff is that there's quite not that much organic or grassroots engagement with um, James Gagan's socials and social media. It's very much like coming from the other TDs and politicians and senators and councillors and so on who are canvassing with him. So it's very much in the Finnegal bubble, talking to the Finnegal bubble. Um, you know, which is a strategy in itself. Which is a strategy which, in and of itself. Yeah. Carry your base and fuck the people who won't go near you. Um, yeah, that's a total strategy. And in terms of the polling, it's, it's working for them. Like they have uh, mobilized and connected with their Finnegal base very effectively. Um, so it's interesting that they're they're kind of hammering on that. But what we're going to look at as well is online ads, um, which is uh, obviously a, a, a contemporary aspect of elections and who's doing what. And um, I took a li- little trawl through Facebook and the money that's being spent. Um, and what did you find, Ina? <laughs> what you found under the hood of 
the Facebook. Well, so what I found was that um, the biggest spender on Facebook ads and, and people who kind of look at this stuff won't be surprised is Sinn Féin. Um, and, and they're doing it in two different ways. So in the past week, um, Lynn Boylan and or via Sinn Féin or whatever, they spent the campaign has spent about three and a half grand um, on Facebook ads Um or maybe that was a week ago or whatever. But anyway, it was in one seven day uh, period. Um, and also they're running like multiple, multiple variations of uh, of ads, whereas a lot of um, candidates will just run single ads and so they're less targeted. So mm-hmm. um, Sinn Féin are running variations on ads. Is she running much video ads? Yeah, there's video stuff with her and Ono Brin. There's also some like videos from different Sinn Féin politicians um, themselves. And, and there's kind of stuff that's, it's quite soft, actually. Um, it's quite uh, human. Lifestyle. Yeah, it's kind, it's kind of, it's quite, um, uh, quite authentic and quite about the person, I guess. Um, James Gagan campaign spent around a grand in a week mid-June but weirdly all of his ads are inactive um, at the moment so his campaign has spent little to nothing in the past week um, so they're obviously just focusing on the doors I guess I'm not sure what that's about um, Bridget's ads are coming from PVP mostly as opposed to a candidates page uh, Deirdre Conroy and Fianna Fáil are doing a thing that, that they, they tend to do on, on Facebook Fianna Fáil and that they go for a wide reach that's not very targeted so they'll go for like they'll try and get like a reach of like a million people on an ad but it doesn't actually get that much kind of impressions or engagement so they'll end up with like a couple of thousand uh, of impressions on an ad so I think that just really speaks to the kind of their lack of sophistication in terms of how to to basically run, run Facebook ads properly. <laughs> um, Batchik was running ads on childcare. So hers ones are m- much more issue based. Yeah. So issue and policy based. So I feel like her whole campaign has been issue and policy based. Yeah, which is kind of what it should, like what, it, what it should yeah. be. Yeah. So she's been running ads on stuff like childcare, on the National Maternity Hospital. Her spend started out really low. Uh, so in mid-June for one week, it was 250 quid. Um, but that has risen to fifteen hundred euros in the past week. Um, now at the out, so so maybe based- that's why she's gotten so high in the polls. Also, I did want to say it earlier. That poll comes out just after our thirty-two questions, didn't it? Yeah. There you go. There you go. There you go. Um, QED. <laughs> uh, so interestingly. At the outset of the campaign, Sinn Féin was outspending Labour 14 to 1 in by-election Facebook ads. And they, as I was saying, they're running <clears throat> more variations on ads. They've upped the variations. Uh, I think at the moment there's one ad I was looking at where there's 19 different kinds of it. But Labour have upped their spend sixfold from what they had done in the past six in the past week, as I said. So they've gone from 250 in a week to 1,500. So that is the content and the little digital advertising zinger. And now it's time for They Said What? Couldn't be any clearer. And it's reckless, it's illegal, and it's just nothing short of outrageous. Say what? Andrea, tell me about... This is our item that we actually had set up but forgot to put it in the first week and it's about random shit that the candidates are saying now I put in Ivana what she said 
because I just thought it was a really nice play on words as opposed to anything else. It was like, there's a clear cycleway through the two between Sinn Féin and Fine Gael who want this to be just about them and their parties. This was when everything was about, it's a two-way between Sinn Féin and Fine Gael, uh, but that's disrespectful to voters who actually care about the issues we're hearing on the doorsteps. And I just thought it was a very nice link to her poster because she's talking about a cycleway through the two and she's talking about bikes. Very good. It's actually not that great on reflection. Anyway, go on yours. <laughs> well, my one was a story uh, from a, a couple of weekends ago that we forgot to put in, which I just love because it's just like, sorry, what? <laughs> um, in a meeting about, um, it was like a, a meeting about all of the stuff that's been happening in like Portobello with the, pu- with the public space yeah. there. And he basically went on this like random uh, outburst about concrete public spaces and said that people who introduced um, concrete spaces in the constituency, quote, should be shot. <laughs> <laughs> like, calm down. <laughs> and also, I don't really know, like do, you, like, do you think that public spaces are bad or do you think the concrete public spaces are bad or should we not have public space I don't know anyway I thought it was hilarious my favorite part which was in the examiner which was like no one on the meeting responded to the remark and Mr. Gagan quickly said so anyway before moving on <laughs> I uh, love that. can I put in one thing that I saw that I love this is not really anyone saying anything but it, I'm putting it here anyway uh, there was an article in extra.ie and it was called where is Kate O'Connell Voters miss for, for voters miss former Fine Gael TD, and it goes on about how everyone's asking, but where's Kate? Where's Kate? It's like uh, in Dirty Dancing, where there's like, where's Penny? She needs a break. She needs a break. <laughs> <laughs> and at the uh, one of the oh, it is actually uh, what it is at towards the end. Uh, it was like that because Kate's also been been kind of having visitors to the pharmacy of all the opposition so Michal Martin's been there Mary Lou's been there all getting their, their picture with Kate screaming um, and then it said figures close to the leadership are uneasy though noting Kate is seething she's in internal exile up there in the chemist shop the chemist. <laughs> there's a real concern amongst the camp that if Kate comes out to support James it will be the Bastio della Morte aka the kiss of death she will only be going out to back him if she thinks he is politically dead and she wants to keep her prince off the crime scene but then, this is my best bit. A source noted, James is a little terrified of her. Who isn't? <laughs> that is that is like somebody writing, you know, Sunset Beach script or something. <laughs> Love the that. Okay. If she comes out and he's a little terrified of her, but who isn't? <laughs> and that was, they said what? And now it's time for Good Week, Bad Week. Okay, I messed up, right? I messed up. But I will from now on listen to every bit of advice you give me. Yeah, I'll go on question time wearing a push-up bra and a fez. Push-up bra and a fez. Yeah, I'll do the casting on stilts. That is what you tell me the strategy is. Because you know about that stuff, I know that. The who had a good week? Who had a bad week? This is what this item is about. Andrea, tell us. How does it work, though? Um, basically, 
<laughs> so good week. Uh, good week for Ivana doing well in that poll but also her posters are fab with her bike and maybe we'll do a piece on the posters and analyzing the posters next week mm. um sarah jerkin's posters are also great they're both um illustrated and they're very personable and lovely oh yeah and i saw one that bridget had as well which was like um i can't remember there was like three words but it was like rebel socialist and there's like cool photo cool like illustrated picture of her as well yeah so thank god for Political posters appear appear to be evolving. Finally. Uh, do you know whose isn't evolving though? And I can't believe she's running. Dolores Cahill's running in this by-election. Yeah, I know. The less said about her, the better, to be fair. Banana fan. Good week for James Gagan. Uh, highest in the poll, uh, the Irish Times poll so far. And- also a bad week for him though, uh, because Peter Dooley, who is an independent candidate, uh, and also the founder of the Dublin Renters Union. Uh, he met up with James Gagan and Simon Coveney on the street when they were both canvassing. And you might have seen uh, James puts up a picture with all the other candidates he meets, giving them a leaflet and, oh, go on, take the leaflet. And he looks like a robot. Um, but he, uh, Peter Dooley asked, started asking um, James some questions about his policy on housing um, and Simon Coveney, uh, James just kind of stares at him and doesn't like as if he's like blinkers on, nothing like no reaction, no facial movement. And then Simon Coveney sweeps in and was like, "Well, I actually used to be the housing minister." And uh, it's like, "Yeah, but you're not running." And like, give him a chance to say anything. And then uh, Peter continues on asking questions. And what about evictions? Why don't you? Why did you vote up against them last week? And why blah blah blah? blah. And then. Simon Coveney just puts his arm around James and, and leads him away and he doesn't say a word. And you're like, the, it just is really a great illustration of when you hear that James is not doing media interviews to see you could, this kind of the video really highlights why. Yeah, if you go to Peter Dooley's, um, Peter Dooley dub on Twitter, you can see that it's kind of remarkable um yeah again that's kind of the engagement piece and being up to the task of it like someone challenges you yeah engage talk to them um but it was just like kind of protect the boy king at all costs um but James Gagan did have a good week uh with those with those polls for sure um and lashing out the picture of all of his uh Finnegale canvassers as well um what's this now about the step challenge I completely miss this Oh, this was, there's this thing going on where they, where all the canvassers have a challenge of who does the most steps to prove they're canvassing the most. And uh, it was actually on Dublin Bay South News on Twitter. They're, they're actually doing like really feeding all this juice out of what's going on from all the campaigns. But Lynn Boylan's team won the step challenge with Louisa Riley breaking 17,000 steps in one day. Oh, that's not bad. It's okay. Okay. Yeah. Tough guys. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan of Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all of our design. We'll be back next week. Um, if not by the end of the week, if something else breaks in campaign breaking news, um, and we'll for the for the election week. It's all coming and to we've a head. We've also got our remaining thirty two questions to go. 
Yes, we have uh, at least two more 32 questions coming for you from different candidates to so stay tuned for those as well. Uh, I've been Una Mulally. I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland. And that was neck and neck. That was neck and ch- neck. Do you want a tuna chicken roll? I really want a tuna chicken roll, yeah. Okay, fine. Fine, I'll give you one. It is uh, Marie Davidson, her new song, Renegade Breakdown. And you will know Marie Davidson from such songs as the one I played on repeat for a year of work. <laughs> um, and now she's got a new one and it's an absolute tuna. Excellent. Denied my application. I'm not a slave of your institution. You want a weapon of mass destruction. I'll give you a demonstration. Oh, by the way, there are no money makers on this record. This time I'm exploring the loser's point of view. Never mind the term. It's a renegade breakdown. I don't want your advice on how to elaborate my speech. I have no interest in your political agenda. Your intentions fluctuate like the stock market. Your masquerade is grotesque. Your style overcalculated. The uglier I feel, the better my lyrics get. And I feel disgraceful whenever you're around. I thought I saw you taking a picture last night. So give me something to remember. Your pointless opinion, I couldn't care less. How do you come up with such meaninglessness? Your cheap headlines, your lazy writing. I wonder how it feels for you to sit around all day. I'll tell it to your face for once and for all. My life is anti-strategic. Lying between. Comic and tragic. Take back everything 
I don't cling on to products. If I had a perfume line, it should be called No Collab. Expect no collaboration. No need to call the cops. I'd rather self-police. I betray everything I make. Anger is everything I am. Your science is a poison I can no longer ingest. Take your prescription and shove it up your ass. This is where we part and this is how I end. The capitalization of my deprivation. So next time you think about me, might as well cross me off your list. I really don't need an applause. Your party sucks anyway. <laughs>